Hey, what's going on, fam? As far as here. So, obviously, if you guys aren't, you know, following us in our personal lives, we're not in town. Um, spent some time with family down south in Miami and did some ministry. So, thankfully, we had the awesome privilege of having the director of the porch jump in and be a blessing to the kingdom on this podcast. So, stay tuned, listen up, engage. I want you guys also to follow him, David J. Marvin on Instagram. He has a very encouraging page, but the, the porch is a ministry I wasn't even familiar with in the past. It's just this year, getting the privilege of being connected with those people, and they are doing awesome things for young adults, targeting areas that we all need addressed in the church. So he's going to talk about anxiety and things along that line that is a huge blessing. Um, so I hope you enjoy this. Next week, Friday. October 29th. Depending on when you're listening to this, it's probably already the 29th, but we will be launching our merch site. Stay tuned and show some love. Be blessed, y'all. Peace. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's going on, everyone? We're blessed to have a special guest in the house today, Mr. David Marvin. Do I have to call you pastor? Nah, man. Okay. I mean, you can tell me whatever you want. <laughs> All right. So we have David in the building, guys. I um, want to give you, you guys give him a great welcome. He's not going to hear it, but appreciate you jump, jumping in on the show with us, bro. Man, I'm, I'm pumped to be here. I love what God is doing through y'all. And uh, that is godly dating, bro. I could, I could go off about just how important what you're doing is. And so thanks for doing it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'm fairly new to, I'm checking out the porch ministry. I had the opportunity to speak with Jonathan Pecluda one time. Um, and that's when I really started noticing the clips, you know, so it's great that we managed to get connected because now you're considered the director of the porch. Am I getting right? That's right. Yep. Awesome. Uh, been doing that for the past few years. Okay. And you said that's a weekly gathering of about how many young adults? About 3,000? It's 3,000 in Dallas and then anywhere between five and 7,000 at other locations. There's about 15. And so if anyone listening wants to go to the porch.live, there's locations all across the country, nine states, ranging from Boise, Idaho, to Philly, to North Carolina, Tulsa, Oklahoma, just everyone in between. And so check that out. Definitely a great ministry. You guys will want to check that out. I'm on their YouTube channel, finding new ways to steal everything David has said and put it in my own words. So you guys would think I'm, you know, super anointed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so bro, I want to thank you for joining us, taking the time, you know, why Thank you that she, that Kelly allowed you to be on and the kids let you get away to do some, do some ministry with our people. So once again, thank you. And we want to dive into a new book that you just released. And I think it's so important because it's really dealing with probably all of our young adults in some way, shape or form. And it talks about the name of the book is we're all freaking out and why we don't need to. And you're helping young people find their freedom, you know, from their anxiety, you know, whatever type of depression, even, you know, that they may be battling at the moment, you're helping people navigate that season. So I want to ask, what was your heart behind that book? First of all, before we dive further into the interview? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's worked with young adults has seen the explosion, explosion of anxiety and mental health and challenges there. 
And so my wife and I, she's a counselor. She works and sees people for anxiety. And just as a pastor, seeing the last 10 years of how dramatically that issue has increased in the lives of young adults and across the board increased. Study after study shows how much more anxiety and mental health and anxiety disorders are prevalent today. And then as a pastor, seeing the disconnect for Christians between running to God's word first versus going to see therapy or counseling or medication, all of which are amazing fields and can be gifts from God, but we never outgrow the Bible as Christians. And so turning to his word first, and the reason I think most people don't is they grew up in uh, churches that either misinform them on what God says about anxiety or that mistaught them, or they just don't understand. They think it's irrelevant, outdated, and they think it says stuff like just pray more or have more faith or, man, if you only trusted God more, you wouldn't have anxiety, which is a gross oversimplification of, I think, some of the most profound truths that Jesus gives us. And so this book is not to be the last line of defense. It's not um, anti-counseling. It's not any of that. It's just this is understanding what God actually teaches as it relates to finding freedom from anxiety. And anything else in addition to that, in addition to God's word, should be a supplement, not a replacement for how we combat anxiety. So that's the heart behind this book. All right. So that's good because I'm from that, that type of church that you just mentioned, where we grew up thinking counseling, uh, they didn't view it as the devil, but they viewed it as unnecessary. Whereas if you're dealing with something, you know, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your finances, whatever your stress is coming from, you just find an altar call and you just pray through, you know what I mean? And you get to speak yeah, yeah. it in tongues and your anxiety is gone. Like that's literally the way, the way it felt like it was never really encouraged, you know? So, so where do we find that, that line? Because like you said, this, you know, counseling and, or this book is not meant to be the last line of defense. You know, we should never outgrow the word of God, but where do we draw the line? Because I feel as though there are so many people that they don't turn to the word of God. They go straight to the counselor, or there are some people on the opposite end of the spectrum they go straight to the Bible and they will never go to a counselor because they feel it's never necessary. So how does a, how does a believer know when one is necessary or if they're not using all the tools that God has for them? You know, I'm a big believer, Tavares, and I'm sure you are too, in community. And so I would say having a small group, having people, I mean, if you're living according to the Bible, Hebrews 10 tells us, don't neglect meeting together, that you and I, James 5 says, to, to confess and open up our lives to other right. people. And so as you journey with Jesus, you're going to journey with God's people or Jesus's people. And hopefully they're going to come around you as you begin to apply what God says about anxiety, which we can go into here in a second. Yeah. And there's times where, man, traumatic experiences, abuse, um, there's just environments that people were raised in and physiological or biological things that can be broken that could benefit from the addition of either counseling, medication, et cetera. But that's where I think, man, when you're living with God's people authentically and you're applying God's word as, as it relates to anxiety and in general, those people are going to be best equipped to say, hey, I really think this would benefit you to go see someone and talk about, to process more deeply. Because counseling, um, it's a deep form if you have a good counselor. And, you know, we could talk for a while about that because there's certain counselors that they don't even want you to get healthy, you know, because they benefit off of you coming and paying a weekly thing. There but there's a lot of really great ones that just their heart is not for you to come, you know, make their paycheck. Their heart is for you to experience healing. Right. And so I think finding a good counselor, you know, with God's people around you, encouraging you to do so, there's times that's totally appropriate. 
but to your point, the pendulum swings in both directions of where it's like, man, you should never go see somebody and just pray about it and uh, cast the devil out. And then there's the other side that is, man, God has nothing to say about this. I need to get on medication because that's the only thing. And that's where I think applying God's word is so important because to use medication, for example, which is great. I mean, anybody who's against that, are you against Advil? Are you against like seeing a doctor? You know, if your leg, your leg, you tear your ACL and you're not going to go get that fixed. That's a gift from God that of course can be um, helpful, but medication doesn't treat the cause of anxiety. It treats the symptoms. So it doesn't get to what's actually creating yeah. that anxious, those feelings, but it can treat the symptoms. So that's where I think you've got to dig deeper and God's word equips and prepares us to dig deeper into what's fueling the anxiety. What are the lies I'm believing? What are the things that I'm thinking about that are creating more anxiety instead of my life? Yeah, definitely good. Definitely good. Your book, you mentioned how young adults have some of the highest levels of anxiety. I don't know if that's, you know, now compared to the past, but what are the reasons that are causing our young adults to, to deal with anxiety on such a high level now? Yeah. There's, so there was a study done a couple of years before COVID and now it's even higher, but that was done. That was basically saying that young adults today are three times more likely than the generation behind them and the generations behind them to have anxiety disorders, panic disorders, symptoms of mental health, anxiety problems. I think there's a couple reasons. One is the explosive transformation. This study is crazy, man. So a study was done showing how fast culture has changed. And it said that, and it was done in 2010. And the study concluded in the past 30 years, our world has transformed as much as in the past 300 or the 300 before it combined. So our world has changed as much in 30 years as it did the previous 300 combined. And that study was done in 2010. That's before iPads, Instagram, Uber, Netflix, um, Grubhub, like all the stuff that's just a part of life today. And so you think about how much has even changed since then. And so all of that change creates stress. And then young adulthood is a time in your life where previously or prior to it, there was always a set path on yeah. where kind of what's next. You know, yeah. first grade, you go to second grade, second, third, junior high, you go to high school, high school, you know, go to college, you go to the workforce. And then it's like after you graduate from college, the tracks run out and the train is just free falling and you're trying to figure out where am I supposed to work? Who am I going to marry? Is this person the one? How am I going to pay for health insurance? What am I going to do to you know pay off these loans? And that just all creates anxiety. And then further, again, another passion point that we have, the average age of marriage has gone in the last 30 years from 24 in the 1980s to 30. So now people are walking through this incredibly anxious time all alone. Yeah. which further compounds the anxiety. So I think it's a problem that's not going away. In fact, um, there was another, another study done that, that said the average psychiatric, psychiatric patient in the 1950s exhibited the same levels of anxiousness as the average young adult today, that's which insane. is crazy. I mean, that, 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 or according to people in the 1950s, we're crazy, you know? And so I think it's a problem that, We've got to double click on, we've got to double down on, and the church has got to be talking about more and more equipping their people on what the Bible actually teaches. All right. So before we talk about how churches can better fix their, 
Well, yeah, let's let's do that first. What are some ways that the churches can get better informed on this matter? Because I don't think churches are willingly being ignorant. I don't think that's their goal. You know, I think they genuinely think they're helping people when they either point them to the counselor or point them away from it. I think some of these pastors and leaders feel as though, oh, well, God let me to do that. So how can they get better informed on this this real pandemic, you know what I'm saying, that's going on with their young people, especially. Totally, man. I think one of it is, um, and I don't mean to insult anybody, I think understanding what God is actually teaching in the Bible whenever he covers anxiety. Let me give you one example of that. Paul in Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if you read that and fly by it, a lot of people think Paul just said, don't be anxious, just pray. Yeah. Here's why that's an oversimplification is the word for not be anxious is a Greek word, which the New Testament is written in Greek. It's a Greek word, merim now. And it's a word that is uh, synonymous with meditation. In other words, when Paul says, do not be anxious, he's not saying never have an anxious thought. That's impossible. They're going to happen. They're going to pop into all of our life for the rest of life. He's saying, do not meditate on fearful, anxious thoughts, That's good. which is possible. Like you can choose, you can't choose whether or not, you know, you got kids, you're going to be bombarded with, oh no, am I enough as a dad? Am I, you know, a good enough husband? Am I going to be able to afford whatever someday? Those thoughts pop in. I don't have a choice over that. I do have a choice whether I say, you know what? So I'm going to now meditate and dwell on and focus on. And I've never met a person who disagrees when they understand what Paul says, hey, don't meditate on fearful thoughts. I don't know anyone who would say, that's crazy, as in anyone who would say, you know what made my life meaningfully better? I began to start every day meditating on everything possibly bad that could happen. Like I could die, I could have an aneurysm, an asteroid could hit the earth, you know, we could all, um, you know, my kids could just disappear and be, I've never met someone who said, I chose to dwell 15 minutes to start my day on everything negative and fearful, and that really helped me in life. Like that, of course, we go, that's crazy. Yeah. And that's what Paul's saying. And so I think teaching people, hey, you don't always have a choice over whether you're going to have that thought, but you can choose whether you dwell on it and meditate on it, which is why Paul in that same Philippians chapter four, then goes into, hey, don't meditate on that. Rather, whatever's true, lovely, noble, worthy of praise, think on those things yeah. in the same conversations, the right verses after. So I think that's one example of just being equipped of teaching what does God actually teach and then encouraging people with, hey, here's a practical thing. When that moment and those thoughts come in, I want you to dwell on what is true, that yes, those things could happen, but here's what's true. God is in control. Yeah. My life is underneath his care and and his sovereign will. And so everything that happens today, I can trust he's at work. Yeah, man, that's good. Um, I don't think I ever realized that. Now I'm going to have to go study that myself with the, the Philippians 4 verse. That's so true because I think it's, I think I've always read it like, hey, just, you know, don't be anxious, just pray about it. Yep. You know what I mean? Now, I honestly believe most people I probably heard teach on this. That's the way they made it seem, you know, yep. and, and it doesn't seem wrong because they're looking at it from our, you know, our Western mindset, you know what I mean? But in reality, that's not what they were trying to teach. And the people, obviously, that understood in those days, they would have understood it clearly. Um, But the other question that I wanted to ask you before we go forward is how much of this, you mentioned the last 30 years has probably been more intense than the previous 300, you know, regards to anxiety levels. How much of this do you think 
um, is rooted in social media? Because I know you said, obviously, 30 years. So this is including more than just Facebook and Instagram. But I can't help but believe that social media is making this thing worse, you know, because everyone is comparing themselves and all those things. So I'm not saying go ahead and preach about how we need to get off of Instagram. But what are your thoughts on the impact of social media on anxiety levels? I I think, um, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, too, because somebody I was teaching last night at the porch and and we were talking about anxiety, mental health Mm -hmm. and stress. And I used an illustration. Somebody on my team, my staff said this week where they said, man, when I get on Instagram, it's like I'm bombarded with a to-do list I didn't even know I had. And I was like, what <laughs> yeah. do you mean? And she said, like, I see somebody getting engaged and it's like, oh man, to-do, find a boyfriend or yeah. get engaged. And then I see somebody on vacation and they're so fit. And I'm like, oh man, to-do, work out more. And then I see somebody driving a car and my car's garbage and they're driving like a new Audi. And I'm like, oh man, to-do, make more money. And I think all of those uh, thoughts and comparison, they feed stress, they feed anxiety, they feed the message that I'm not enough. And I do think it's really contributing. And so whether or not you get off, I think, you know, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts, man. I mean, you're much more of the social savvy guy than I am. One, one thing I have never seen is somebody who is really healthy that doesn't take rhythms and times where they step off of social media yeah just to go like, man, I'm just, I'm off this for the next week, month, whatever it is, just to go, Hey, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna show myself and really the world. This is not what life is about. Right. But how, what would you say? Like, I think it's, I think it's weird. Like, because just recently I got off of my personal page for a couple of days because that's where all the notifications are on. I have all my golly dating one-on-one notifications off because it's too many people to, to try to respond to. So I'm just like, well, let me focus on finishing this book. Let me focus on, you know, family, you know, all those things. So I'll just back up. But at the same time, I'm like, I'll keep the golly dating one-on-one up because that's where, you know, using it to minister to people. And then I look at it like, yeah, but then you still get sucked into now you go through the whole timeline. And I think a lot of people look at a page and they're like, man, you have hundreds of thousands of people. And I'm just like, yeah, and you don't realize that the jealousy we can get at 100 followers can still be there at 100,000, you know, because I found myself looking at it like, how did they get a book deal? How did they get that conference? How did they get, you know what I mean? And it's it's literally, it's literally will it, able to damage your mind because I don't think people understand like, just because you have a million dollars doesn't mean you're not gonna look at the guy with 10 million and say, yep. man, what do I do in order to get that? You know what I mean? So sometimes I, I have to step off myself because I rather, I, 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 I believe, a message that I've been working on to do at my church is, you know, regarding regards to comparison, whereas Saul, Saul, you know, they weren't able to fight Goliath. They're terrified out of their mind. David comes up on the scene. Boom. David kills the giant. Saul is excited that the enemy's defeated. They're no longer worried about the Philistines, but we see that Saul had a problem, not because David killed the giant, but he had a problem because the people were praising David more than him. So he had yep. no problem. And that shows us that a lot of times, well, we don't realize it, but we are wanting God's glory for ourselves. Yeah. Because the moment someone else gets praised, we're looking at it like, well, why didn't I get that? Or oh. the moment someone has a nicer car or nicer this, nicer that. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm trying to trying to do a better job of paying attention to what's in my heart because I'm not envious of someone's followers or someone's pockets because I, I honestly believe that God is going to provide it in his timing. But it's so easy to look at social media. And like you said, 
I didn't realize how much I never vacationed until I saw everybody in Aruba. On, on, like, how many people are in Mexico? Like, yes. like, how does this even work? You know, so I feel as though it's so easy, no matter what stage of life you're in, that this social media game can get dangerous fast. Yes, man. You're so right. Yeah, that, uh, dude, that's all. That'll preach, man. No, no, no. Don't preach it. It's not that Come good. Come on. That's good. No, <laughs> you're so right, man. I think it is. It feeds. And we're only, who knows, man. And, um, you know, I don't know if you know Bethke, Jefferson, um, such a great dude. And he, he's made a comment before that, you know, social media may be like smoking was in the fifties or the forties or whenever people were like smoking and it was just, everybody did it. And then 20 years later, they were like, Oh, we got to put a lot of search and general warnings because the thing that we didn't know was so bad, turns out it's bad. And it may be that in like 30 years, you know, smartphones, or just social media, um, people look back and they're like, man, we got to put more restrictions and regulations because this is doing something, especially to our kids and what, you know, the next generation is going to face, but it's good. And it's wild because I think about my three-year-old and Zion, he does not, I mean, Zion can't spell anything yet. He knows how to spell his name, but I mean, he does not, it's not like he's a genius that he's only three, but yeah. if I give him my phone, he knows how to get to YouTube and every cartoon on the planet I don't know if he knows how to spell any show that he likes, but he will find it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like, this should not be real life because I don't recall holding a phone in my hand until the 10th grade growing up. Some people may call that bad parenting, but I call that, hey, you know, focus on school. You know what I mean? Why, but now dude? we're forming children, you know, that the gadgets are in their hand from birth, especially like the busier parent may be. We don't realize yeah. it that we're thinking, uh, let me just get five minutes of time. So let me give them the iPad, give them the phone. And then we raise generation of kids that they don't know anything about God, despite the fact that they were in church forever, or they don't have any type of peace, despite being in a Christian home. They have all these fearful thoughts. And then their parents were trying to teach them about truth. And in reality, they never understood it. Why? Because they've been consumed by you know social media. So that's the reason I was trying to pick your brain on social media, because yeah, I just man. feel as though man it's more damaging than we realize and i i know the quote you're talking about from jeff bethke because i think that's in the book um to hell with the hustle um and i was just looking at it like this is crazy and i may need to reread that book now now that you mention it um but i'll get off my my soapbox in your book you talk about your own personal story regards with um dealing with anxiety so go ahead and tell us a little bit about that what may have led to it and how did you i guess find the tools in order to overcome those things yeah, man. You know, I taught on Matthew 6. haven't done this the last 12 years. You teach on every topic a lot. And I taught on anxiety tons of times. And there's a verse in Matthew chapter 6 that I think is one of the most misunderstood. And it's Jesus saying, seek first his kingdom or prioritize first God's kingdom. And all these things will be added unto you. And he's saying that in the context of don't be anxious about anything. And then he says, rather seek first God's kingdom. Right. And in context, that verse is 20 verses after Jesus saying, and pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then down here, he's like, prioritize God's kingdom above your kingdom, above your will. So God's will, God's kingdom above your will. And that idea of going like, God, hey, I'm going to do what Jesus did in the garden and say, hey, Lord, please don't make me, uh, please don't make it so that I have to die. There's another way, take this cup, but your will comes before my will. Your will be done, not mine. And when I began to thread all those together and realize there's a way which we are invited to live life that says, God, I I seek your kingdom, your agenda, your will for my life before my own. And so whenever things 
sovereignly unfold and they contradict my own will, I'm going to choose to trust you or I can choose to trust you because there's going to be times where life doesn't go how I want it to. And I can either be anxious and freak out and it's still not going to go how I want it to. Or I can say, man, life's not going how I want it to. But God, your kingdom comes before my my kingdom. Your will comes before my will. I trust you and I can have peace. So I taught that tons of times. And then we found out we were pregnant with my daughter. We got a phone call. This is 2000 uh, and 2017, maybe. Yeah, 2017. And it was December, Wednesday night, 930 at night. We had found out we were, you know, we were 12 weeks pregnant at that point. Didn't know what we were having. Doctor calls us 930 at night. And I knew something was wrong then because, you know, doctors, yeah, they don't just call at 930 at night to be like, yeah, what's going on, you know? Um, and my wife, you know, says, come sit down, uh, puts it on speaker. And the doctor says, we found out you're having a girl. And the reason we know that is she's been flagged for a rare chromosomal disorder that if she has it, there's a 99% chance she will die before she makes it out of the womb. And if she does have it and she's in the 1%, then she'll have severe health complications, need immediate heart surgery, and she'll live really with complications the rest of her life. And that was one of those moments where, I mean, they just happened at some point eventually for all of us, but it was like, you know, a bomb went off, you know, in a movie, when a bomb goes off and you just like, you just hear the ringing and everything slows down and speeds up at the same time. And, and it was like, Oh my gosh. And that put us on a six month journey. Cause they said, really, there's no way for us to know until she's here, any test that we would run could put her life further at risk. And so it led us to our knees of just going, God of modeling out, man, God, we're going to seek your kingdom first. We don't want our baby girl to die. Will you please let her live? But your will comes before our will. And so if that's what you have, we're not going to thwart your will. And so if you don't, you're not planning or the plan is not for her to make it, then we're going to choose to trust you or we're going to try to trust you. And that began, that was just kind of the prayer that we had, that God, please let our baby girl live. And if that's not your will and we trust you, I don't know how that could not be your will, but if for whatever reason, I don't understand it, man, we trust you. And I couldn't say that every moment of that six months was marked by us praying that prayer uh, because, you know, you're just terrified and you're going, God, please. But every moment I experienced peace was marked by that prayer of right. going, God, man, we want our girl to live. But if that's not your will, we're not going to thwart the will of God. And no matter how much we freak out or worry about it. And so if that's not your will, we trust you. And that put into a bigger perspective. It's like those verses became a lot more real as you walk through that. Yeah. And thank goodness, you know, six months later, um, she was born. She was healthy. It was a false flag or a, um, whatever it's called, false diagnosis. God is good, man. He's good. And, but you know what? I always hesitate to share that part because uh, um, it makes – I don't want it to sound like if you just pray, then it always ends up that yeah. everything's okay because that's not the case, sure. you know? Sure. But I do know that God did something to deepen my confidence. He used that season, and it was either a miracle or false diagnosis or whatever. But I do know that six months, like it grew my confidence, my faith in God and my ability to trust him. God, even if it doesn't go the way that we want it to do, oh, man, I'm going to choose to trust you. And every time I did that and my wife did that, we experienced a peace that, man, God, we can either just let our hands open and let it go and trust you or we can grip and freak out. But it's not going to change what happens to our girl either way. Yeah. You know? uh, so we can either choose to trust you with our girl and be freaked out 
or we can either choose to trust you and have peace. And, um, and so that was probably one of the bigger journeys and moments in my own life with anxiety. But I think, you know, whether it's that type of just life altering diagnoses or the small stuff, God's word is relevant to how we approach and handle anxiety. Yeah, that's so good. And I know there's a lot of people that are dealing with similar large issues and it didn't work out the way they prayed. You know what I mean? And it's definitely easy to to get discouraged. But it just reminds me of, you know, Job's response, you know, being I'm going to choose to worship, whereas things keep getting worse. And his wife was like, just curse God, man. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, at this point, it doesn't even seem real. But the fact is that we should still know that whether that child was healed, whether the child had a false um, diagnosis, or things didn't go according to plan, we have to understand that God is a healer before we see him heal someone. You know what I mean? Like, if that's what his word says, you know, so that's always the difficult part. Obviously, when you're in it, it's easier to to testify and have those things when you're out of it. Um, But I hope that story definitely encourage um, some of you guys listening that you're dealing with something that's causing you to be anxious. But I will ask you this, because there are some people that they literally have an anxiety problem. Anxiety attacks are common for them. Sometimes they're stressed and they don't even know why. You know what I mean? So what, how, how, how can a person identify what's, what's causing the worry that's inside of them? How do they identify what's causing the anxiety that they're battling? If it's not something as clear as that, you know, cause everybody doesn't have a situation like that, but they still have those anxious thoughts. So how do they, how do they identify it? Yeah. Man, this is where I think, um, because we're as people, we have the body, spirit, kind of soul, heart, we're all integrated and, one thing I talk about is saying I have anxiety is like saying I have a problem with the computer. When you have a problem with the computer, it's either there's something wrong with the hardware, like the keyboard's broken, the screen's cracked, the yeah. you know battery's messed up, or there's something wrong with the software. It's got a virus, needs to be updated. There's just something jacked up kind of internally with the physical components. And I think anxiety is really similar. And that when you say I have anxiety, that either means hey, there's something physiologically wrong, like a serotonin deficiency, or there's something biologically off, or which would be the hardware, or the software, which is your spiritual life and psychological components, which is your life experience, personality, wiring, et cetera, et cetera. And so this, my focus in the book is, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist, so all the hardware problems, you know, biological brain, hormones, all that stuff, man, I, I, I stay in my lane and go, there's times where you should seek help for that. But I think you first want to go, is this a software program and walk through the spiritual aspects and the psychological aspects and begin to self-reflect on what am I anxious about? What's really fueling my anxiety? What are some of the lies that I believe? And it would be a, a longer conversation. So I'll try to be as brief and as succinct and clear as possible but if it's like the spiritual and the psychological, then often it's, it, there's an emotional issue going on. And anytime we experience an emotion, it involves two things. I believe something and I value something. I can't experience emotion in general. Like it's a really hard thing. If I was like, uh, Tavares, be scared. And I asked you to be, you could pretend to be scared, but for you to actually genuinely be scared, experience that emotion, you have to have an intersection of a belief and a value. And by that, to use an example, like if I, uh, we live in a neighborhood where, you know, there's kind of trees around. If I was walking in the street or walking on the sidewalk and I saw a squirrel, do you guys have squirrels in Florida? 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, I would assume I'm everywhere. They're everywhere in Texas, man. And, uh, <laughs> I'm walking in the, on the sidewalk. I see a squirrel run on the street. I'm not going to feel anything because even though I believe that squirrel could get hit by a car, I, I don't really value squirrels. Right. Um, you know, it's not that I don't value. I'm just, I'm not concerned. He's pretty quick. He'll be fine. If I see a child walking in the street, something I value significantly more, I'm going to feel nervousness, angst, like get out, a car could hit you. If I see my child walking in the street, I'm going to feel concerned. I'm going to run, get out of the street. You get hit by a car. And so anytime there's an emotion present, there's a belief and a value that's there. And so when we experience anxiety, it's beginning to drill down to what are the beliefs and values? Maybe I'm anxious about whether or not um, I'm going to get the promotion or whether or not I'm going to make enough money by the time I'm 30. And it could be that there's a belief that life and success is determined by how much I make. It doesn't even need to be a true belief. There's just a belief somewhere inside of me that believes that. And correspondingly, values, man, being seen as successful. And so I'm going to, of course, experience anxiety. If anything threatens my job or my ability to pay for things, I'm going to experience anxiety because there's a belief and a value that's happening there. And as Christians, thankfully, God's word has been given. Hebrews chapter four tells us it's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce through the desires and intentions of the heart or the beliefs and values of the heart. So then I go, what are the things that I'm believing or the things that I'm valuing? And what would God say about that? What would God say? Like, is the belief something that God would say, you're believing a lie? Like maybe I'm fueled by anxiety over money because I believe the lie that I'm the ultimate source of provision. And the Bible says, no, God is the ultimate source. Your job and your money, all of that, like you're not actually in control. You're not actually a provider. You bought a lie and that's fueling your anxiety. And so in the book, I walk through a little bit deeper and practically how to, how to approach that. But I think that self-reflection of going, what are the things that maybe I'm believing a lie or maybe I'm overvaluing something. It's not that it's not valuable. I just, I value having a certain car, a certain house, a certain um, timeline for when I get married more than God says I should value. And, and drilling into some of those, I think is a step to getting to what's behind those. Definitely a loaded answer. Um, can't respond to all of it, but there was a part in the beginning when you mentioned, um, you know, you stay in your lane when it comes to the hormone imbalances and all those things, hey, you may need to get some help. Um, so my question is, because in Psalm, I believe 61, you know, David writes, you know, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock, you know, so a lot of times people use that verse like, hey, lead me to church, you know, lead me straight to God and he's gonna, he's gonna fix it. But I think there are times, obviously, when, you know, God allows these people to become doctors because they're here to assist you, just yep. like your, your broken bone, whatever imbalance that you may have, he wants you to, to go to them. So what happens to the people that are listening and they're in churches and obviously I'm not telling anyone to leave their churches, but what's your advice to those people who they're in churches that they really can only go to their pastor, like the pastor tells them, Hey, come to them. Are you against, are you saying we should only do Christian um, counselors or what are your thoughts on, on those things? Like if somebody's in those shoes where they're not really encouraged to seek outside help, you know? Yeah. So yeah. You tell those people, Man, it's so hard because I don't want, I don't know the situations of everybody listening. I just, I hope that you hopefully have a church where, you know, pastors are just people. We're all broken sinners and we all need other Christians in our life. We're a kingdom of priests, the Bible says. 
And so any church that is like, hey, your pastor is your one-stop um, shop for fixing all the problems, I think is, uh, man, I feel bad for that pastor because he's carrying way too much weight. Way and too I feel much. bad for the body because they, they need other believers in their life. And hopefully they have other believers in their life that um, maybe they go through in God's word and they apply it. And they're like, man, I'm putting all those things into practice. And I still am feeling I'm battling depression. I'm battling uh, anxiety. I'm, I'm unable to live life. And I'm trying to do all the things God commands. That person, I would say, without knowing their situation, but they seem to be at a place where it may be worth considering getting additional supplemental help in addition to this, all for the purpose of getting to a place where you don't need that. Like that's, I think the biggest fear with medication that people overreact to is that it just treats, sorry, the symptoms. It doesn't treat the causes. And so you just go in there and sometimes there's a, a path where, hey, I'm gonna treat some of the symptoms to be able to process and function and then be able to treat the, the causes that are underneath it. And then I'm gonna steadily get off of medication. Um, ideally, maybe there could be scenarios where, man, that may not be God. We live in a broken world and just like certain people have to take uh, medicine for diabetes every day, that, that could be there. But I would go in knowing, hey, I'm gonna do this for the purpose of getting to the root causes. And maybe I take medication or seek additional help to help me get to the root causes or to treat some of the symptoms that are debilitating me, debilitating, uh, disabling me from getting to those root causes in the meantime. So I, I would, I'm not saying they should leave their church, but I'm saying if a pastor says you should feel shamed or Eric. you're wrong, or there's no time to do that, I just would disagree. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to end it on a sour note, but <laughs> so I'll give you the last word. Uh, we'll shift gears there. Um, so everything we mentioned, obviously, is barely even scratching the surface. I definitely want you guys to check out the book. The link is going to be in the description box, but I'm going to leave it on you in regards to, I guess, any dating or anxiety advice that you want to leave before heading out um, in regards to this topic that will encourage the people listening today. Man, so um, we didn't talk about dating, but I'm going to go here because I, I share it, bro. bro. Um, when I was 16 years, oh, no, 15. I was enrolled in a driver's ed course and it's going somewhere. But um, in Texas, you go and I went to some class and you go and you basically do a driver's ed, you learn how to drive. And the reason why that is, is because we as a society know if we're going to let you on the road, there's some big risks if you get behind that car to you and to other people. And so we're going to teach you and require you be taught and you require you pass a test before we let you out and, you know, on the open roads. Yeah. And around that same time, we also begin, most of us, you know, you just passed puberty, your interest, you know, in the previous few years goes from, man, girls are dumb to who is that, you know, and, uh, and you begin to be introduced to dating a lot of us, or at least that was my experience, you know, around that time people started to date. But ironically, although there's a driver's ed, there's no daters ed. And there's no buddy coming along teaching you other than culture, other than the world saying, man, this is how you should date. This is what God says. So we learn from music. We learn from TV. We learn from uh, you know, Netflix or from movies, all of which are really bad instructors that they lead to worldly results. And so I would say to the person who's listening as it relates to dating, one of the things that will calm your anxiety is by retraining how you thinking, how you think to go back through and not just say, man, I'm going to run the same offense I've been doing since I was 16, but I'm going to do what God says as it relates to love, romance, marriage, dating, 
I'm going to look for the type of person he says to look for. And I think that will really diminish some of your relational anxiety because that's real fear over, are they the one? Is this the type of person? And so I would get really acquainted. I'd make sure you follow uh, Godly Dating 101 on Instagram and any of the resources that are being put out there. The dating series we've done at the porch. We love covering that topic because it, the more you're familiar with who I'm looking for and who I need to be, the less anxiety you're going to have and the better marriage you're going to have someday. And so that would be my, my two cents to go there. Yeah, man, I, I took driver's ed in high school. I didn't pass the test. <laughs> <laughs> um, clearly why my relationships were trash. Um, thanks for thanks for the advice, sir. Um, but <laughs> David, Margaret, everyone. <laughs> but, oh. Yeah, man, definitely good. Definitely good, man. Thank you for all that. I know when I, especially when I get guests, not everything relates to me, but I know it relates to the people. This is definitely something that I believe relates to us. You know, Safra and I are ready to, to finish through this book. Um, once we find wherever Zion hit it, um, sorry for putting you on blast, son, but we, we appreciate you taking the time, bro. Love what you guys are doing over there at Porch. I'm excited to hear more and yeah, man. Hope the book sells out. Come on, man. Thanks for having me, dude. It's so fun. Keep going. We're rooting you on. Yes, sir. All right, guys. We'll catch you next week. Peace.